0: Wild Lives by Fornographic
1: Hey, I'm Rochelle and welcome to Wild Lives by Fornographic Today we're heading north to the high arctic with Shannon Wild. An award-winning photographer, cinematographer and adventurer known for her close encounters with some of the world's most iconic and endangered animals. Now, Shannon grew up in Australia's Queensland and she discovered her passion for wildlife photography at a pretty young age. She started taking pics of her pet reptiles and it kind of snowballed from there. In the years since then, she's travelled all over the globe to film and photograph everything from Komodo dragons to big cats and anything with fur or feathers in between. And also as part of her work, she regularly ventures to Svalbard.
0: Located in the Arctic Ocean between mainland Norway and the North Pole, the archipelago of Svalbard is one of the world's northernmost inhabited areas, with most of the area's 3,000 residents based in Longyearbyen. Cruising around the islands gets visitors up close to the area's incredible wildlife, which includes reindeer, arctic foxes, walruses and, of course, its famous polar bears. According to the Norwegian Polar Institute, there are approximately three and a half thousand polar bears in the area, and they're usually found on the sea ice where they hunt their preferred prey, the ring seal, which they can smell up to 16 kilometres away. Weighing in at 680 kilos and growing to more than two and a half metres long, polar bears are the largest land carnivore on the planet, and despite their huge size, they are surprisingly agile swimmers and can swim at speeds of 10 kilometres an hour using their paws as paddles in the water. A great time to see them in Svalbard is between May and September.
1: Shannon Wilde visits Svalbard every year to photograph the area's polar bears and she's had some pretty amazing encounters with them. Hey Shannon, thanks so much for joining us today. Can you tell us what it was like to have your mind blown by seeing a polar bear for the very first time?
2: It was it was quite an experience actually. The, the mind blown uh scenario is is suggesting it very well. You know, it's one of those things where it's such a different area to what I'm used to. Australia and South Africa being uh, you know, warmer, drier places. And I grew up in Queensland, so I'm used to the warm. Not a huge fan of the cold. Um so the first time I went I was a little apprehensive as to how I would manage with with the cold and being in the Arctic and all that. But it's It was absolutely incredible. And the first time that I saw a polar bear, I was a few days into, I go on a ship 10 days each time. And I was a few days in and it must have been, we were up far, far north of Svalbard, So it was up in the pack ice, basically as far as the ship could go. Mm. um, It was in the ice and we kind of parked there and we have gone to bed, and it's 24-hour sunlight there because it was summer, mm. and basically at 2 a.m. in the morning, we get a knock on the door, and uh, the ship's crew has spotted a bear off in the distance, so we all rush to get all our warm clothes on, layer after layer, you know, sweating by the time you want to run out the, the room, and happy to get out actually into the cold air, and um, very, very far off in the distance, there was this bear, and we could just see it, and there's... The beauty of that was being in the pack ice, it's just flat. It was just flat and white. And you can basically see, you know, 360 degrees around you, all white. And so we had plenty of time to watch this bear approach, mm. get our camera set up, see what it was doing. And it was, it was just one of the most incredible experiences because this particular bear was super curious. So it literally just made a beeline straight towards the ship. And it literally came up to the ship and put its boards on the side of the ship. So, no, it was nuts. So that being one of my first proper bear encounters was absolutely incredible. And I got, you know, it allowed me to get some really nice images. It, it stayed around the boat for quite a while. It actually circled the boat a few times tried to work out how to get on. Uh, thankfully, it couldn't. <laughs> and yeah, it just provided some really incredible opportunities. So actually, still to this day, I go every year. still to this day, some of my best polar bear images are from that very first encounter, where that that male just he really was very very curious and uh, spent a lot of time with us. So it was amazing. Oh.
1: Mm. So that was the first time. Since then, you must have had, you All know, many. quite a few amazing encounters. Do you have any any favourite episodes that you'd like to tell us about?
2: Yeah, there's there's been a few. I mean, you know, it's not like you go to the Arctic and you're guaranteed bear sightings you know, every year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's always that um, you know that apprehension and that excitement of are you going to see something. Um, and I have had some really nice encounters since then. Uh, one that actually stands out is from last year, and that was it was quite a funny, kind of awkward bear that did come up to the ship, uh, similar to the first one, but this one, the, the ice was a bit more broken, and he was jumping from iceberg to iceberg, and <laughs> he was not kind of working the distance. and kind of slip and fall into the water and then have to climb out again. It was quite adorable. So, um, and then he was like rolling around trying to dry himself on the ice and rolling with it upside down and he was very, very playful. So that was really amazing to see. Very, very different to my first encounter which that bear was quite intent and serious. This one, he was almost like handing it up to the camera. So... um, yeah, the, purpose, the purpose of me going up there, obviously I'm documenting stuff for myself, but I'm specifically taking people to teach them how to photograph. So you can imagine um, my clients who are so happy with that encounter. Oh, yeah. They're adorable. <laughs> yeah.
1: You mentioned a moment okay. ago that the first guy you saw came up and put his paws actually on the boat. How often do you get this close to them?
2: Uh, well, that hasn't happened again yet. So I can't say that that's sort of you know normal behaviour. Yeah. He was he was very confident and curious that one, but we've definitely had others that have uh, that have come up close to the ship. They're, they're curious. They can obviously smell. Uh, they have a very strong sense of smell, so they can smell the people or all these different uh, smells on the boat, and they're very very curious as to what that is. So you know, depending on the individual bear. Will determine how close they'll come, but certainly sometimes within a few meters of the ship. Oh. Uh, we also get out and do zodiac tours, so every day we'll go out on the zodiac just to get a bit further from the ship. And we've had bears that we've found on icebergs, and we've kind of followed along as they were swimming in the water. Uh, just mind, literally mind-blowing stuff. It's, it's amazing,
1: incredible. What kind of behaviours do you typically get to see? When you're out in Svalbard looking for the bears, is there anything that really stands out? Um,
2: I haven't had, so well, I haven't had a successful hunt yet. Hopefully, that's in years to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's lots of sleeping bears, <laughs> lots of walking, <laughs> all that normal stuff. Um, lots of remnants of the bears and their behaviours. So, for example, we've come across seal carcasses. We've come across. Inventations in the snow where they've been sleeping and footprints and that kind of thing. Mm. Um, I have witnessed some unsuccessful hunts, so the stalking, um, but not a full successful hunt. And that's, I mean, that would be just incredible to witness. You you know, you really have to be right place, right time, a few times for that Mm. to happen.
1: Yeah. But even seeing them like in the stalking mode, they're quite bulky. I can't imagine them being that kind of stealthy?
2: Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, it's surprising, I mean, that they have such wide feet. So, you know, at that suspension in the, in the pools, I guess, as they go through the snow, I mean, they know how to be stealthy when they want to. And mm. I also think for them, if they can get into the water and get up as close to an iceberg that a seal is on, Mm. that really helps them because the seal generally has no idea until the bear is actually trying to get out of the water up to where they are or else standing over a breathing hole. They'll often, you know, the, the seals will have breathing holes mm. from the ice down into the water, so the bear will wait there and literally wait for the seal to come up and take its breath. So, yeah, still, still lots out there to, to me to witness and uh, hopefully document.
0: Another animal found in Svalbard is the walrus, a gentle giant that can eat up to 4,000 clams in one feeding session. Around the archipelago, hundreds of walruses will gather together on the ice to sunbake and these herds are usually separated by gender, so males and females mostly hang out with their own kind. Walruses aren't very fast on land, but in water they can hit speeds of up to 35 kilometres an hour. And size-wise, they're quite impressive. Walruses can weigh up to one and a half tonnes and grow to over three metres in length, with tusks that can grow up to one metre long. Although these tusks look a little menacing, they are mostly used to help break through the ice and to help them climb out of the water. And walruses have only two natural predators, the orca and the polar bear.
1: You've also taken some pretty incredible photos of walruses in the area. What was it like seeing those guys for the first time?
2: That, uh, that was something that enamored me a bit more than I expected, actually. Um, they're, they're quite adorable. They actually remind me of, like, a shy dog. So, obviously, they're, they're in a group, you know, scenario most often. But uh, every now and then you'll get a few curious individuals and you can see they, they want to come closer and then they're a little bit shy, maybe someone moves and then they kind of run, run back. So that was that was very uh, <laughs> cute to see. I have had some encounters with some more confident ones and potentially they're the pictures that you're referring to where I was on the on the beach, it was a very pebbly beach and this one walrus was so confident. He literally just came up out of the water, like fully out of the water so that we could see how massive he was. Like it's hard to get a sense of how incredibly good they are mm. unless you actually, you know, they're out of the water. He was huge and literally within a few meters, he kind of hauled himself out of onto the beach and and then that's his spot. He just wants to relax there for a bit. So he's kind of like, sitting, which for me is posing, (laughs) I'm like busy shooting, shooting away, and then it's quite funny because he like kind of laid down, then he went back into the very shallow water right on the edge, and he was on his back, and he was kind of flapping around, and Mm. kind of, it was, yeah, it was adorable, so that was really nice, and also I've had some experiences in the zodiac where we're out in the water, and they've been following us side by side in the zodiac and then they'll go down and you kind of think where are they and then they'll pop up again on the other side of the boat.
1: So That's really cool.
2: Really fantastic.
1: What other Arctic animals really get your pulse racing while you're up there looking obviously for the bears but there are other animals around?
2: Mm. I think for me that would have to be the Arctic Fox. I didn't see any the first year that I went and subsequent years I have. And what's really interesting is last year, uh, sorry, this year, because I went in May, which was the earliest that I'd ever been, I actually got to see them in their white fur. whereas previous years, uh, because we tend to go in summer, they've lost that white, and they don't need to camouflage in with all the snow. They're actually camouflaging in with now some of the dirt and and the foliage and that kind of stuff. So Mm. they have their brown coats on during summer. So previous years, yeah, I've always seen them brown, and probably my favourite encounter has been with some pups, which are known as kits. Mm-hmm. Um, so mum and dad have gone off to go hunting, obviously to, to bring back some food, um, but we were able to sit and spend some time uh, at, a, at a den site where the kits were were hiding, and you know, there were some little bird carcasses out around um, around outside. So they once they'd had their little sleep they'd, you know, all energetic and playful. So they would come out and start playing with the you know, what was left of the bird carcasses and playing with each other and jumping around being cute. Basically like little puppies, like tiny mm-hmm. little puppies, that, yeah, really, really adorable. So that that's it was a highlight, especially because I didn't see any on my first trip. I was really keen to
1: see them. Amazing sighting to have the kits like that. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Apart from wildlife, though, Svalbard is a pretty special place. What's it like to actually visit there in terms of the culture and the food and and things like that?
2: Yeah, it's um, it's really interesting, actually. Uh, you know, the first year I went to Longyearbyen, being the the capital of Svalbard, and Svalbard being, you know, a relatively small island. Uh, Longyearbyen itself is quite a small town, but it's actually surprisingly, uh, you know, the word that comes to mind is cosmopolitan for so such a small, oh. out-of-the-way place. And it's the northernmost inhabited place on Earth, mm. um, but it actually has like an amazing variety of eateries it's got beautiful museums um, it's very much tailored obviously it's a, it's a tourist destination mm. and it really caters well for that um, so every year I go it's kind of like a small town kind of familiarity which is really nice to go back to You know, some of our favourite mm. places to eat we run into the same people um, but uh, Starbark itself to it's, me I think it's it's such a stark beauty up in the Arctic that um, that's probably what surprised me most is how incredibly beautiful that can be. Mm. Yeah,
1: it's it's very, really, very interesting place. Back to your photography though, photographing animals in the snow or ice can be pretty tricky just to get all oh. of the levels right and everything. What's your number one tip yeah. for getting a great wildlife pick in that kind of environment?
2: Okay, well, without going into, like, a full-blown tutorial, <laughs> no. uh, my, my number one tip would be check your histogram regularly. Mm-hmm. So the thing with treating in solar ice is obviously it can trick your, your sensor uh, or your exposure reading, and it depends very much on how you're shooting, what settings you're using, so that my recommendations would vary depending on that and your level of experience, mm. but one thing that can really throw you is when you look at the back of the camera, when you're dealing in such bright environments, you sometimes are not actually seeing the, the back preview accurately. When you're in a really bright situation, That often be misleading mm-hmm. so that's where relying on your histogram and learning how to read your histogram is actually going to be a lifesaver in that situation because you know you look at the picture on the back of the camera and you think oh that's too dark or it's too bright whereas it might actually be perfectly exposed yeah. or it might be the other you're not in a shaded area to be able to get a proper sense of that preview so the histogram is going to tell you are you overexposed? Are you underexposed? Have you got more leverage that you can work with? So, um, you know, if you should be making some adjustments. So that's that's definitely my my go-to
1: tip is. That's an excellent. Get on your tip.
2: Instagram, and then and then look at
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> excellent, excellent tip. I wish I'd asked you that before I went to the Yukon last winter. <laughs> I got there eventually, but it was yeah a lot of trial and error. <laughs> Yeah, it can be very tricky with the white the or
2: that white. Mm. Yeah.
1: During your career as a wildlife photographer and cinematographer and adventurer, you've dealt with some pretty yeah. epic confrontations with some animals. You've been <laughs> mauled by a cheetah, charged by elephants, lions and buffaloes, bitten by snakes. Somehow, though, you've managed <laughs> to keep your cool and and move forward with it. How do you keep your cool though when you are in the presence of a potentially dangerous animal and and things start to get a bit iffy? I
2: don't know if there's necessarily any logic (laughs) (laughs) per se. For me, I think it's because I go into situations and I am aware of the animal, of what it is capable of and I guess for me, I just, it's, I know it's a privilege for me to be there, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. So, you know, anything that happens, and if something does happen, then it's usually my fault. I can, you know, I can work back to something that I've done that's wrong or that I've missed uh, some messages that the animals have been giving me. You know what I mean? So, for me, it's more about, it's such a privilege to be there, and i, I that's where I'm happy and those encounters that, you know, where I've maybe been injured are so small in comparison to, to the number of experiences that I've had over the last 15 plus years. So um, while they do stand out in terms of events and, and memory, you know, over such a long period of time, it's actually, it's not that many. So the the positives certainly outweighs what it is for me and even in those situations keeping my cool I think I'm actually most calm around animals so it's almost like I it's like a natural reaction certainly when I was moved by the cheetah and she was on my arm for quite a long time about 20 seconds in all which Maybe it doesn't seem like a lot, but when, when an madam was clamping down on your arm, it is a long time. <laughs> she thought she had my throat, so she thought she was actually suffocating me. And I'm just lucky that my arms got in the way. In that situation, I don't know, it's like I immediately knew that I had to relax into that because fighting it would have caused more damage to my arm. And I actually wasn't in a position that I could... She pinned me down from the back. So I kind of knew that I wasn't able to do anything in that particular situation myself. Mm. Uh, And I was also very aware that I had people around me to help. I think if I'd have been in a situation where it was me alone and that had happened, I would have had to have switched gears and sort of thought my way out of it a bit more you know, poking the animal in the eye or, or, you know, clawing at its nose, sensitive areas, that kind of thing to get it off. But in these particular cases, you know, I've I've known just to relax into it. Otherwise, I'm going to cause myself more damage. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard to articulate why I'm so calm and why I go back. You know, yes, it was a, you know, a painful experience, (laughs) But I just couldn't imagine my life without it being involved with wildlife and me being in the wild, to be honest.
1: You know, Mm. that's what I I identify with, yeah. Mm. So you have had these kind of challenges as well as others, but still Mm. your, your passion for the wildlife, it's just never wavered. What do you think actually keeps you going?
2: I you know, I'm aware, like I mentioned, of the capabilities of the animals and I, I think what I love and respect most about wildlife is that it runs on instinct. There's absolutely no malice. So there's an honesty to their their behaviour and they're acting on instinct and I I really respect that and I you know I want to protect that. I want to every moment that I get to To be in the wild, to have animal encounters, I just, I treasure it, because I know there are so many people that would love to have those experiences, and maybe never get to, especially in a wild situation. Uh, And then of course we have so many endangered animals that there are certain time limits on what animals you will be able to see in the wild, It's, it's a very sad notion to contemplate, but. I'm very fortunate uh, some of the animals that I've
1: been able to see. I never forget that. Thank you so much for your time today, Shannon. I know you're a very busy woman with stacks of adventures on the go <laughs> at all times. So thank you thank so much. Thank you so much. And that's a wrap on this episode of Wild Lives by Pornographic. Thank you for joining us. How much of a legend is Shannon? Do follow her adventures on Instagram. You'll find her account at Shannon underscore underscore wild. And I'll also put the direct link to her stuff on pornographic.com. Looking forward to catching you next time.
0: Wild Lives by Pornographic. Follow us on Omni.fm or search for Wild Lives by Pornographic on iTunes. Subscribe today and you'll never miss an episode.